and all the times that we would fail him, and yet he still loved us. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Listen, if you're not saved, that, you know what that's called? That's called unconditional love. The only, the only condition to God's love is this. You come to Jesus. Once you come to him and you get saved, it is unconditional for all of eternity. Man, look at Matthew chapter 4. I, I love the fact not only that he saves us, but that he wants to use us, and he wants us to be involved in his work. That, that's an awesome thought. The fact that he calls us not just to be saved, but to be disciples. To me, is an amazing thought. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And look, if you would, at verse number 17. Now, if you're not familiar with Matthew 4, uh, what goes on at the beginning of the chapter is the temptation of Jesus Christ in the wilderness. But prior to that, now this is not really deep, all right? Chap- before chapter 4, there was chapter 3, all right? You don't have to be a Bible scholar to know that much, right? Before chapter 4, there was chapter 3. And in chapter 3, uh, Jesus is baptized. And when he, does, uh, get, when he gets baptized, he comes back out of the water. The Bible says that God the Father speaks from heaven and, and, and confirms that he is the Son. And, and the Holy Spirit of God descends like a dove and lights and falls on Jesus. And so you have the Godhead, that's the Bible word, or the Trinity, that's the word you might know, all present there at the baptism. Basically saying, yep, he's exactly who he says he is. So right after that, guess who shows up to make sure that that's true? The devil. At the beginning of chapter 4, the devil tempts Jesus Christ, and, and, and thank God he didn't give in, amen? If he gave in, none of us would be here right now. But every single temptation, it is written, it is written, it is written. So thankful that he did not give in. He persevered, and the Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without what? Thank God for that. So in the beginning of chapter 4, Jesus is, is not only proven in chapter 3 for who he is, but he proves and confirms his power at, by, by being filled with the Spirit of God, resisting temptation and quoting Scripture. So, so later on in the chapter, here we are in verse 17, the Bible says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew's brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. You say, why, why are these guys throwing a net in the sea? Because that's what fishermen do. They throw nets, right? They want to catch fish, so that's what they're doing. The Bible says in verse number uh, 19, He saith unto them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And after they prayed about it and thought about it and fasted and... Uh, went on Facebook and asked some of their friends about it. You know, they tweeted it, X'd it. What are you supposed to say now? X'd it? I don't know. They tweeted it. You know, they did this, they did that. And they got a consensus. They, they took a, a poll. They put a poll online that says, who thinks I should follow Jesus? Who thinks I should keep fishing? They didn't do that. They didn't do that. Uh, look what it says here in verse number uh, uh, 20, straight, uh, verse number 19. Say to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they straightway, verse 20, left their nets and followed him. Going on from thence, he saw their two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they, about a year down the road, after they had time to talk to family about it and set up some plans, you know what's funny about Christians? You guys oftentimes know exactly what the right thing is to do, but you convince, your, you, you literally talk yourself out of doing it. And the way you do it is you go, I'll do it tomorrow. 
The Bible says they immediately left the ship and their father, and they followed him. Uh, I'm going to ask Brother Javen if you would open us up in a word of prayer, sir. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Uh, we're going to jump into the text here, but I just want to remind you, we've got people coming back from Africa this afternoon. We've got a young man, Isaac, going back to Bible school here tomorrow. Are you heading back tomorrow? Saturday? Saturday. Okay. Well, be ready to say something on Wednesday night. Monday. Yeah. Monday. Monday. Uh, pray for our young people. They're, they're doing some great stuff. You know that? They really are. But, but I, want, I want to get you back to the, the text here, and I want you to understand that, that in the passage, the leader of the master of the group is proven before he ever calls anybody. And you learned that earlier in the chapter. And, and let me say this as well. In verse 17, who is it that's preaching? Uh, not a trick question. This is like the easiest Sunday school question of all. Who is preaching in verse 17? Thank you. That's more like it. Now you don't sound like Baptists. You sound like real people. Amen. All right. So, so Jesus is preaching in verse number 17. If he's preaching and people are listening, question, does he need the disciples to get out his message? Not really. See, in our minds, it's like the Lord needs me and the Lord needs me to tell others about him. Well, well that's a, a privilege and an opportunity for you as a child of God. But God does not need us. Do not be mistaken and believe that the reason why God calls us into discipleship is because the Lord's like, oh my goodness, I'm not sure how to get the work done. He's been doing it just fine without us. He'll be fine when we're gone. The reason discipleship is so important is not because of what God gets out of it, but because of what you get out of it. He's doing the job by himself. He does not need us. But yet, in the midst of his preaching, he takes a break from the preaching, a break from the crowds, and he just takes a stroll on the coastline. And as he goes down that coast, he begins to call these men, and I'll say this about discipleship, the master sees potential where nobody else does. I mean, think about this. He shows up, the Lord shows up to Gideon, and Gideon is... uh, 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 hiding from the bad guys. He's doing work at night. This is in the Old Testament. If you've not read the book of Judges, get in there and read your Old Testament Bible. It's good for you. Even the, the passages to go, this guy had this guy, and then this guy had this son, and this guy had this son. And you go, Lord, get me out of here. Read that stuff. You'll, get, you'll learn some stuff, all right? Now, now that said, Gideon's back there, and he's threshing wheat at night, and the Lord, angel Lord shows up and goes, Hail, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, Who, who are you talking to? The Lord's like, I'm talking to you. No, I don't think so. <laughs> you need, you, you, you must be talking about this guy over here. He's really courageous. I know you're not talking to me. The Lord's like, no, you don't understand. See, I'm seeing you a couple years from now. I'm not seeing you where you're at. I'm seeing where I want to take you, not where you've been. And, and the thing is, the Lord comes to Gideon and he goes, Hail thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon at first is probably like, who in the world are you talking to? How about this? Jacob, 
this guy's a liar, he's a supplanter, he's a deceiver, and yet the Bible says that the Lord wrestles with him and changes his name to Israel, and he says this, your name's going to be Israel, which means prince with God, because you're going to have power with God, and, and after looking at Jacob's life, you'd go, no God, you, you don't got the, you have the wrong guy, are you kidding me, and yet the Lord goes, but I see what he can become. There's a little shepherd boy, and, and, and by nature, everyone kind of overlooks him. And, 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 and the prophet Samuel showed up at his dad's house, at Jesse's house, and he, he's, they're looking for the next king. You know, it's like America's Got Talent Jewish king version. You know, and this brother steps in, he goes, look at my hair. You know, and this guy steps up, and he's super swole, like Isaac, right? And he flexes his muscles, and this guy shows up, and he's like, oh, could I get it? And, 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 and the Lord's like, nope, 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 nope. And Samuel's like, Lord, we're running out of guys here. That's how every single woman in here feels. I'm running out of the men. They're all, they're all bad. They're all bad now, right? And, and, and so the, you know, Samuel's looking at it going, there's, there's no one left. And the Lord's like, well, why don't you ask a little bit further? And so Samuel goes, hey, do you happen to have any more sons? <laughs> and Jesse's like, well, I do, but he's like one of those, you know? He's kind of different. I mean, like his brothers are like, like out there wrestling with each other, and David's like writing music and stuff. He writes the biggest book in the Bible. And it's about music. Have you met musicians? They're different. I'm not, a, no, 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 no offense to all the, where's Kaylee? I don't know, don't leave the church, right? But they're different. They look at things differently. I, I've watched my daughter. My daughter, I mean, she just, you know, like Ariana's like, oh, I don't know. Just, I didn't, I didn't feel it. Blech. I don't understand. What's your problem? I just didn't, there's something, they're kind of artsy, kind of different. David is the, now listen, you may laugh at that, but when you're down and you're depressed, you don't go read Jeremiah. You don't read the guy that's like, it's all over, we're all going to die. You read about the guy that's like, Lord, when I was in trouble, you became my high tower. Lord, thou art my refuge from ever, from everlasting to everlasting. You read that guy's stuff. Who is that guy? He's a little shepherd boy that everybody overlooks. Matter of fact, he goes and shows up after his dad says, hey, go check on your brothers at this battle. And he gets there, and his oldest brother's like, what are you doing here? I know why you're here. I know why you're here. You ain't had a sheep to count, didn't you? And you just want to get over here and, you know, kind of strut your stuff and be one of the big boys. Get out of here, man. Just scram. This is after which time he's already been anointed to be the king. All right, hey, babe, I can get my turn. You stay preaching. I'll get the baby. Okay, okay, all right. Hey, man, 50-50, right? You know what Amos says? I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son. You know what some of you think? Some of you think, well, I, I didn't grow up in the right home. I, 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 you know, I, didn't, I didn't come from the right stock. I didn't have the right training. I, I, I came from a rough uh, environment. I came from, you know, yesterday was a beautiful moment for me. I got to see Ben and Jackie exchange their vows. And, you know, they would tell you, man, they, they, can, they had some, some baggage. And, and watching what God has done in their life is nothing short of a miracle. <laughs> And, and, and hearing them give testimony to their family and their friends saying, man, we lived for so many years this way. I didn't even know what marriage really was until I got in the Bible and I got saved and seeing the change in their life. You say, what is that? I can tell you this. If you'd seen Ben five years ago at a gas station, some of you would have walked right by him. And you would have thought anything about him being called to preach. And yet he's the one going to Bible school right now. That's God's sense of humor. <laughs> 
You know what that is? God sees potential where we don't. I mean, think about Saul, who becomes Paul, right? He, nobody, once he gets saved and he gets in the church, everyone's like, are you sure about this guy? Are you sure about this guy? You know, I mean, he, this guy, I mean, he's like one of those crazy, woke, lefty people. He's a communist, you know, he's going to kill everybody. And, 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 and Barnabas shows up and he's like, no, I'm telling you, it's real. You know what, Barnabas, Barnabas is a very unique character. He had this in common with the Lord. He could see potential where everybody else saw a threat. Aren't you glad God saw potential in you? But can I say this? Potential by itself does not always equate to success. You know how I know that? Some of you Broncos fans were very excited last night. (laughs) Listen to me very carefully. They call it preseason for a reason. Okay? It does not count. They <laughs> a win is a win. I get it. Man, I get it. I get it. But I'm just going to tell you right now, it won't get you to playoffs. You know what gets you to playoffs? What happens in the regular season. And so what I'm trying to get you to understand is this. You can have all... Listen, you're looking at a recovering Dallas Cowboys fan. For the last 30 years, like, this is the year, America's team, this is the year, we've got talent. Talent doesn't make the team. Discipline does. Just because God sees potential. You know one of the hardest things as a pastor is to see the potential in God's people and to see them go right out the door with all that potential that God wants to use and to see it wasted in the world. Potential by itself doesn't get it done. You know what the root word of disciple is? It's a word called discipline. Discipline in Webster's 1828 dictionary is uh, defined this way. Instruction and government, comprehending the communication of knowledge and the regulation of a practice as military discipline, which includes instruction in manual exercise, evolutions, and subordination, subjection to laws, rules, order, precepts, regulations, as their troops are under excellent discipline. The passion should be kept under strict discipline. In other words, if you're a child of God and your passions aren't submitted to God and you don't have discipline, you will never learn what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We're going to have a discipleship, a couple of discipleship courses going uh, as, we, as we move forward in September. But I want you to understand this. Coming to the class is a great first step. That does not mean by coming to class, you are automatically a disciple of Jesus Christ. And by the way, I can't define that anyways. God will, not the preacher. But what I can say is this, it's going to require some discipline in your life. I was at a, 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 an event yesterday for work, yesterday morning, before coming here to do the vow renewal with, with Ben and Jackie. And, and at this event, it was a clay shoot, and it was a, a clay shoot that uh, uh, promote, benefited uh, suicide prevention and, and, and we're trying to raise money for that. It was a good thing in the community and all that. And went there, I was talking with the director of human resources. And I said, what's the biggest challenge that you got with the workforce? So you know what she said? No discipline. They come when they want. They leave when they want. They're entitled. They believe the world owes them something. How come? Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, it's nice to have a remote job. You can't build a building remotely. You understand? There are some things that have to take people showing up. You know what that takes? Discipline. 
How about this, guys? Let's say we started church at 11 o'clock, and somewhere around, I don't know, 11.30, I showed up. You would go, preacher, your life is undisciplined, and you'd be right to say that. But can I say it like this? When it comes to your Bible, your fellowship with God, your outreach, uh, is there discipline in your life, or is it simply when I feel like it? Is it simply when I get to it? You know what that is? That's an undisciplined Christian life. Listen, it doesn't mean you're not saved. And by the way, there are two, there, there are two groups of people this morning. You're either saved or you're lost. Right. Right. And if you're lost, it means you are in your own self-righteousness. You've never been born again. You're counting on something, maybe a baptism, maybe church membership, maybe being a good person, whatever list you want to come up with, whatever list your religion tells you, you that's your list. And let me tell you something right now. You will die in your sins if that's where you're at. But if you trust Jesus Christ for your righteousness... You can become a born-again child of God. It costs you nothing. You don't have to join the church. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to give money to a church. None of that. Are those good things? Yes, but those things cannot save you. So if you're here and you're saved, let me ask you this. The question is, are you a disciplined child of God? You see, there's a discipline that goes along with discipleship. Discipleship is not simply the the attendance of a class. That's a great first step. I I was reading a book... uh, Anybody here know who Jocko Willink is? All right, one of the Navy SEALs. Him and Leif Babin wrote this book called Extreme Ownership. And, and one of the, he's a Navy SEAL. I mean, you know what their, their motto is? The only easy day was yesterday. That's good. <laughs> that's, that's real for the Christian life if you're trying to do something for the Lord. The only easy day was yesterday. Well, he describes it back uh, mid-2000s when they were going in Iraq. You know, these SEALs are the ones that are going in and really trying to get the, bad, the baddest of the bad guys. And, and listen, it, it blew my mind. I had no idea this was the truth. You would never get this on the news media, all right? But, but they'd have to go in, and when they found that there was a terrorist, you know, uh, putting bombs together, whatever else, they would have to catalog all the evidence and put it down in writing. It got to the point where they had to catalog where they found the bombs and where they found the guns and where they found the ammunition, which room of the house that they went. They had to go, it was in this room. You go in here. It's five meters to the right, blah, 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 blah. They had to catalog all of that. And so when they started doing this, and they, they, they went in, and it was just these guys. I mean, listen, when they go in, they go in. They're not going in going, oh, let's just leave that right there. And that. I mean, doors are getting busted, and grenades are getting thrown. And when they come in looking for someone, man, tables are getting thrown. Furniture is a mess. Everything's a big mess. You know what it was doing? It was taking them up to an hour at times after they cleared the house of insurgents to get all the information that they needed. And they're going, this is not good. Us being in a place after bombs go off and everyone in the community knowing that we're here and we're sitting ducks for an hour, this is bad. We are putting ourselves at risk. So the AOIC, assistant officer in charge, came up with an idea and he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have certain people committed to taking certain, uh, cataloging certain rooms. And certain people are going to be committed to drawing the house before we get there. And certain people are going to be committed... And everyone started listening to go, this is, this is going to take us way too long. There's too much, here's what they said, there's too much discipline in this order. They got it down to 10 minutes from an hour. They saved lives. Here's what I'm getting at. Discipline can actually equate to freedom. See, in your mind, you think discipline's going to make it so hard. No, no, no. Listen, I'll give you an example. Some of you are not going to like this example. I'm sorry. Five o'clock and the alarm goes off. Then it's 5.30 and the alarm goes off. <laughs> then it's 6. It, you know, I mean, let me just say this right now. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. 
At 10 o'clock at night, I can get up at 3 in the morning. I have no problem. Then 3 in the morning comes. Can I get a witness? And you know, some of you go, you know what? I'm going to get in my Bible, but if I'm going to do that, I've got to get up earlier, so I'm going to set my alarm. And in that moment, you go, you know what, though? God is a God of rest, and he'd want me to rest. And I just don't feel peace right now getting up at 5 a.m. And you go, oh, man, I just need more sleep. And then your day is chaos. And you're like, oh, and you know what you do? If you would just say the alarm goes off, my flesh is not going to run me today. I'm getting up because I know by faith that doing what's right will bring freedom down the road. You see, when all you're concerned with is your own liberty and your own freedom right now, you miss out on opportunities in the future. People think sometimes, I think they think that grace and discipline are at odds with each other. Not at all. The Bible says, now the Lord is that spirit, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 this morning. Romans 6. I've got three points and a poem, and we'll be done. Romans 6. I didn't say how long the points were. Romans chapter 6, look if you would at verse 17, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, watch it, ye became the servants of righteousness. Listen, you are either going to be disciplined to follow your flesh or disciplined to follow the spirit of God in your life. But you're never going to live a life where, where you're not following something. You understand that? What the Lord lays out in Romans 6 is you, you've got a choice. Either you're going to follow the flesh, and, and here's the fruit that comes with that. And, and that's why it says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. Listen, we use that verse to, to show lost people they need to get saved. Nothing wrong with that. But he wrote that to Christians. Trying to get you to understand that as far as you following the flesh, you are in a, the wrong discipline. You know what I'm saying? Oh, no, it's undisciplined. No, 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 it's discipline. You know how I know? Some of you have habits that you won't break. You know what that is? That's a discipline. It's just the wrong one. Oh, no, 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 there's no, 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 there's discipline. Let me tell you something right now. There are things that are in your life that you have sought out, that you have invited, that are present, that you go after, that you make time for. What is that? That's discipline. Because you think it's good for you, even though it may not be. The right kind of discipline brings freedom. What was it that made the disciples... The disciples. You say, well, the Lord called them. Yeah, that was their beginning. Let's just time out. They didn't all make it to the finish line the right way. <laughs> One guy, can, can you imagine? Look, 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 look let, let's, let's, let's put things into perspective. Um, I am very, very thankful. I've had a number of preachers visit our church and say, this is a special place. Amen. And God's doing some stuff here. You better not take it for granted. And that, that is something I take to heart. And, and, and I think it's an amazing thing. Can you imagine for three and a half years? After three and a half years of preaching everywhere you go, you got 12 guys. Oh, and then one of them turns out to be the devil. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. He's literally, the, the devil enters into him and the Bible call, listen, can, okay, here's my deacon, there's my sound guy, uh, youth people, college and career people, here's the son of perdition. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the Lord's crew, right? right? 
I mean, think about this. The, the disciples, the, the, what, what made them the disciples in long term, the ones that made it and their lives carried value eternally and the legacy they left behind was one that actually mattered. Was it their talent? I think we have a problem in America, in Western civilization, really. We glorify talent, but we don't understand that really we often confuse talent with discipline. You go, oh, they're so talented. The young lady gets up and sings. Now, don't get me wrong. You got to have someone in your life that can carry a tune. If, if, if no one in your family can carry a tune, there's a good chance you go, I'm glad morning when this life is over all away. And if that's you, praise the Lord. Let her rip. Sing to the top of your lungs. Give him, the Bible says, make a joyful noise, noise unto the Lord. That's right. And sometimes it's noise. Can I get a witness? All right, but, but that young lady got up and sang a little bit earlier. Let me just tell you, she didn't just get up and sing. She practiced that song. And so you go, oh, what a beautiful voice and what great talent. Let me tell you right now, if it's not for someone going, hey, we got to practice, we got to put the time in, there were times Bella would get up and she'd play that violin. i go, man, that's awesome. I wish I had. And the Lord's like, don't say it. Don't say it. It's not a talent as much as it is hours and hours and hours and hours where she'd rather be doing something else, where she takes the time because for her, ministry mattered and I want to make it right before God and his people. You say, what is that? Discipline. I read this a couple years ago. I'd like to read it again. It's been a little bit. Some of you never heard it, so here we go. The Lord, uh, before he called his disciples, he got a consulting group together to help him make sure he's getting the right guys so here's a, here's how this worked thank you this is a letter written to the lord thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you've picked for managerial positions in your new organization all of them had now taken our battery of tests and we not only run the results to our computer but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant the profiles of all tests are included and you'll want to study each of them carefully as part of our service we make some general comments for your guidance, much as an auditor will include some general statements. It is the staff opinion that most of your nom nominees are lacking in background education and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. Can I get a witness? I don't know how I'm behind this pulpit, but for the grace of God. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience and managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has no, absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Remember that? Lord, who's the greatest? Is it us? <laughs> Are we the greatest? You know? uh, Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew, the tax collector, has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. <laughs> James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings, and they both registered a high score on a manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness. He meets people well, has a keen mind for business, has contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, ambitious, and very responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller, treasurer, and right-hand man. All of the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Aren't you glad God looked at this whole thing differently? Amen. These men, Peter, James, John, the rest of them, they weren't perfect men. They weren't perfect men, but you know what they were? You know what they eventually figured out? 
Hard work beats talent when talent isn't willing to work hard. I've had some young guys go, hey, pastor, I'm, you know, what, what field or what work should I go into? You know what my answer is going to be for every one of you that's under the age of 25? Get a job where you get dirt on your fingernails and grease and you sweat and you scrape your knuckles and you go home at night t- so tired you don't want to mess with sin. You, you say, oh, I, you know, I'm better than that. Okay, talk to me in 20 years. We'll find out. If you think that way, you're not. And I guarantee you, if that's how you think, in 20 years, you'll still be poor. Amen, amen. I've been doing this for a while, not just in church, but in business. I watch people. And you know what I've learned? The guy, the woman that goes, that's beneath me, you know what it is? It's not beneath you, it's beyond you. You can't get there. Because you're not willing, because you're not disciplined. You know what God does when you get saved? He puts the Spirit of God inside of you. You know what he says? He says, listen, when you want to go this way, I'm going to pull this way. I'll let you decide. I'll let you choose which discipline you follow. The Bible says in Acts 11, the whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. They didn't just go find their favorite preacher on YouTube. They went to church. And they got together, and God used that miraculously. The Bible says the disciples... Not saved people, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. I know what we mean when I say, are you a Christian? The way we use that term today is, are you a born-again child of God? Are you saved? Do you identify with Jesus Christ? But let's, let's put that aside for a moment. Are you a Christian according to the Bible's definition of a Christian? I'm not asking if you're saved. If you're saved, praise God. I'm asking you, are you disciplined to follow the Master? Because the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Not only is he still saving people 2,000 years later, but he's calling us into discipleship 2,000 years later. Thank God for that. I want to give you three things real quick. The, disciple, the discipline, number one, of forsaking. The discipline of forsaking. Go back to, to Matthew 4 real quickly. Matthew 4. And I want you to see this for yourself. I could read it, but I want you to see it. Matthew chapter 4. You cannot hold on to Jesus Christ. You cannot follow him if you're not willing to forsake other things. If you want to hold on to everything that you were holding on to before you met Jesus, you're not going to go real far with him. I didn't say you weren't saved. I didn't say you weren't going to heaven when you die. I'm simply saying you cannot be a disciplined follower. Look, look, uh, I read a story at Tom Brady. I don't know if you, you may hate him. You may think he's the worst guy on planet Earth. But I'll tell you this much. He knows how to throw a ball and know how to stay healthy. The guy at 44 was in better shape than some people are at 20 right now. Now, now I'm not glorifying that, but here's what I'll tell you. You know what that, that, that guy would do? His buddies and his teammates would go out, and they'd go drinking and partying. You know what he would do? He'd say, no, thanks. Not even saved, not because of moral obligation. Simply, I don't want that in my body. I want to be the best that I can be. What is that? Discipline. You know what separates those that are okay from those that are the greats? Discipline. Listen, there's a lot of talented people that come into sports and athletes, and, but, but I'll tell you what, they don't last long if they're not disciplined. You may go, well, I've got all this that I can offer God. You know what God's saying? Son, daughter, let me tell you right now, I'm not looking for what you're going to offer me. I'm looking for what I can pour into your life and through you out into others. I don't need your talent. I need your submission so I can put in you what the world needs and it can flow through you. The discipline of forsaking. Look at Matthew 4. Look at verse number 20. Matthew 4, verse number 20. The Bible says, straightway left their what? They left their nets. Look at verse 22. Immediately they left the what? And what else did they leave? Oh, surely God wouldn't want you to do that. 
Family's number one. Mi familia. Yo soy latino. Mi familia viene primero. My family comes first. All right, does it come first before God? I'm going to tell you right now, your culture, stop using that as an excuse for not doing what's right. Amen. Well, my culture, my culture, well, listen, listen here. If we're going to go down that road, here's what I can tell you about all y'all, all right? You Southerners like that, all y'all? Here's what I can tell you about all y'all. All of you guys, your ancestors, you know where they were? Naked, worshiping false gods in a forest somewhere. I don't care if you're white, black, yellow, it doesn't matter. You know what? The reality is this. Without God and the Bible, we'd all be lost. Quit using culture as the reason why you won't discipline yourself to follow Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm not here to tell you that you can somehow have moral superiority by, by saying no, and I'm going to be a better person and a better Christian by just saying no. I will, I, will, I will exercise my will and convince myself that I'm better. That's not what we're getting at. It's simply this. When the Spirit of God in your life says, I want you to let that go, will you? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a friend. God calls uh, some of these young men to go to Bible school, some of these young ladies to go to Bible school. You know what they're thinking? But I'm going to miss my family. That's normal. <laughs> I think you're a sociopath if you're like, I don't care, I'm going. <laughs> like, I think that's a good thing that you're going to miss your family. But will you let that keep you from going? You know what those nets represent? Those nets could tell stories. The nets that those fishermen threw. If those nets could talk, they would say, we went here, we went here. I can't tell how many times he would pull me up, Peter would pull me up out of that water with a big smile on his face, and right away I knew that I made him feel important. I made him feel like he mattered. I made him feel like he was the most important thing in the world because of what I could bring him. You see what the net represents? It's not always just about sin. Sometimes it represents, this is what makes me me. My designer clothes, my friends, the, the, the places that I go. Oh, you eat at McDonald's? I'll pray for you. I'm serious, though. I mean, th th those things don't make you who you are. If you're a child of God, you know what makes you who you are? Jesus Christ. Yeah. And there's, there, there comes a point where you have to go, you know what, I've been, this net, I've been holding the net, thinking I was the one in control, when in reality, the net was holding on to me. I'm not saying it's always sin, but the net reminds you, I'm self-sufficient, I'm strong, I'm experienced, I'm accomplished, I'm important. You know what that is? You'll never follow Jesus Christ when you're holding on to something that you think is your identity. The Bible says that over in Mark, you don't have to turn there, the Bible says that, that, that Simon and Andrew were casting their net, and, and over in Mark 1.18, it says straightway they forsook their nets, and they went from casting to forsaking their nets. You say, why? Because for years, they had the discipline to get up early. They had the discipline to clean the nets. They had the discipline to know where the fish were at. They had a lot of discipline, but it was for themselves. And God goes, hey, you know that discipline you've had for you? I want to take that, and I want to point it in a different direction. Yeah, but Lord, this is who I am. I'm a, I'm a fisherman. If you take this from me, you take me. You take everything. I, I don't know if I can do that. Okay, then don't come. Oh, is that, is that really the choice? Yeah, you forsake your net or you can keep doing what you're doing. Free country. 
I had a guy that I worked with years ago. He goes, Jesus, the greatest American ever. And I was like, he's not American, just so you know. <laughs> but, I, but I do believe he believed in liberty. I do believe he thought, you know, you don't have to follow him if you don't want to. One time, a guy comes to a, Elijah and goes, hey, I'm gonna, I need to do this. And I, or Elisha, excuse me. I, I, I need to take care of this. And the guy goes, who told you to follow me? Go do what you're doing if you don't want to come. One time a guy comes to the Lord and says, uh, hey, I must bury my father. And the Lord goes, let the dead bury the dead. You know what I'm getting at? I'm getting at this. If you're holding on to something, look at Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. If you're holding on to something in your Christian life that you, you think makes you who you are, <laughs> and it's keeping you from following the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you right now, there's going to come a day, whether it's on this planet in this life or it's at the judgment seat of Christ if you're a believer, there's coming a day when you will go, why didn't I let it go? Why didn't I let it go? See, here's what we think. <laughs> oh, man. I'm getting Olivia in the car seat. She's got a num-num in her hand, right? And you say, what's a num-num? I don't know, some organic fruity stuff. <laughs> it looks like a baby surfboard, and she sticks in her mouth, you know, and, you know, does that thing, and and she's at that age now where either she wants you to play with her or feed her, That's pr- or, or, or she's going to go to bed. That's like where she's at. And she's got this baby, num- actually, no, no, she had, <laughs> this is funny, she had one in each hand. And she's doing this. So I'm getting her in the car seat. You know what that means? I got to get her arm underneath the strap. She... <laughs> And I'm going, you don't understand. This is for your good. This is for your safety. That baby can't understand that. Just like you can't when the Lord's like, let it go. You, you may get it back. Uh, this is interesting. Look, look at Luke chapter 5. I, I find this fascinating. Luke chapter 5. People would argue whether this was the first or the second calling of Peter. Uh, well, that would be a Bible study for another time. But look at Luke chapter number 5. And look, if you would, at verse number one, the Bible talks about Jesus being on the seashore and the people were pressing upon him. It came to pass after the, after the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. He stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and they were washing their... And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And, and when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep. I mean, they were done. It was the end of the day. They've been fishing all day. They're washing their nets. That's basically throwing in the towel. We're done. Finito. It's over. And the Lord goes, okay, great. I know you're washing your nets, but thank you for letting me use your boat. But, but now I want to show you something. But Lord, I, I'm, I'm done. I'm, my day's over. and I'm the one that knows what to do with my net. And the Bible says in verse 5, in verse 4, excuse me, he said, the Lord tells him to launch down the deep and let down your what? For a draught. He said, was that drawing in the fish? And Simon answering said to him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nada, nothing, zero. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the... When it's done, they enclose a great multitude of fishes and their net what? You know what I think? I think this. I think that when you try to hold on to something for too long, it cannot contain everything that God wants to do in your life. And it's eventually going to break. 
And I think what's interesting about this is we look at life this way. God, you're asking me to give this up? And the Lord's like, no, I'm actually offering you something better. But your hands are filled right now, and I can't give you anything else because you're full of right now with you. So if you let that go, I can give you something better. And, and listen, the Lord doesn't work like an older brother does. You know what I did to my little brother? <laughs> uh, I would show him that a penny was bigger than a dime. You know where this is going, right? I'm like, bro, you're missing out. I've got all these pennies, and look how big they are. Okay. And we changed, and I, I, I will face that from my judgment. I'll face it, I'm sure, but, but no, no, I won't. It's under the blood. Amen. That's right. I got saved. That's right. But you know what I want you to understand? The Lord's not that way. He's not going to trick you. Some of you feel that way. Well, if I give this up, what do I get? <laughs> Let's make a deal. <laughs> How about this? Peter, I love Peter because his, his honesty. Peter says what nobody else wants to say, but they're all thinking. Peter one time is like, Lord, so it's been really fun. Three and a half years have been great. Learn stuff. Dead people rise up, you know. Dumb people start to speak, the deaf hear, the blind receive their sight. It's been, it's been awesome, Lord. Um, so um, I was just thinking, you know, I was just thinking since we've been through all this and, and all, we, we left everything. What do we get out of this? That's how it went. We have forsaken all to follow thee. What shall we have therefore? I guarantee you in that moment, the Lord's probably, he probably did this. He probably gave him the look that Cadence gave me earlier. Did you hear what you just said, Peter? You say, why? Well, you're worried that if you let go of something, you'll never get it back. Look at John 21. John 21. You see, what, what are we doing? We are fast-forwarding in time through some of the most pivotal moments in some of the disciples' lives. The Lord has been betrayed and he's been arrested and all the disciples have forsook him. Listen to me. They forsook him and fled. I don't think it was because they were cowards. See, that's how we draw it up in our minds. Bunch of sissies. How come they didn't stay and fight? They didn't stay and fight because their own master wouldn't fight. And they're like, well, if he's not fighting, what are we supposed to do? You know what the answer is? If you're taking him, take me with you. But that's humility. That's 